Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're getting a bonus episode. This is episode 126 and I'm talking with my sister, Erica Sylvester, and her husband, Rick Sylvester. Some of you have probably heard me talk about it on this podcast and on my social media channels that she wrote a book. My sister wrote a book called Leaving Cloud Nine that is about her husband's life. And we're going to talk all about this book in the episode so you can learn about it and decide if you want to join us reading it in July for the book club. I am so proud of my sister. I love seeing friends and family work on something that they are passionate about and that they love. And then I love seeing when it comes to fruition. So I am all about supporting my sister in this book and just want to say thanks to Rick for opening up and sharing his life with all of us and being vulnerable. Uh, There's a lot of hard stuff that has been shared and talked about in this book that you'll hear about in this podcast episode. And it takes a really brave person to open up and let people into your life like that. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode with my sister and her husband, Rick. And also, if you are interested in ordering the book, it comes out today, Tuesday, June 26th. So you can go over to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble and pick up the book there. It's called Leaving Cloud Nine uh, by Erica Anderson. Her name, her author name is Erica Anderson. That's her maiden name. And I will say this is not my best audio quality I've ever had, but we are going to roll with it. So enjoy. Uh, So today on the podcast, we have Erica, my sister and her husband, Rick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for having us and thank you to, for your audience for listening. Um, Rick, you're a regular listener, right? Absolutely. <laughs> he hears about it through me because yeah. yeah. I am probably the most dedicated listener that you have. I would say you and maybe Ashley Fizzerati. I just finished yesterday's episode this morning. Oh, with Kellen Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, some of you listening may have heard me talk with Erica before because we did a sister episode. It was episode three of the podcast, which um, I'm kind of embarrassed about my skills. Well, we also did the Christmas episode last year. We did the That's Christmas. the last time I think I was on. Have you been on a Patreon episode? Well, we recorded one, but it got the audio was bad, so we didn't do it. I know, but I feel like we've recorded another one, too. No? I don't remember. You would know <laughs> because you're a Patreon supporter. I, well, I know, but I, I don't remember doing one did so. you listen back to the episodes you were on oh that's i think funny. i did but i don't like to listen to myself it's like reading it's like reading my writing i don't like to read it after i've published it i know sometimes people are like does that make you cringe to listen back to yourself talk and i'm like not really <laughs> maybe i'm just conceited. i like the way i sound <laughs> <laughs> um so but i brought you guys on today because uh, my sister you guys i'm so proud of her and well i'm proud of rick too because you we're willing to share your story. Uh, she wrote a book called Leaving Cloud Nine, and it's all about Rick's life, his childhood growing up into adulthood, into life now. They have two kids. And I just finished the book, and it doesn't come out till Tuesday. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to you and all the people that got um, early copies and have been reading it and leaving reviews on Goodreads. And you can start leaving reviews on Amazon on Tuesday. So, yeah, we're going to, the book comes out Tuesday, this Tuesday, June 26th. And um, I've been pushing the pre-orders like it's my job. (laughs) Well, thank you. So, Erica. Yes. Tell us what the book is about. 
All right. So the book is, um, in a nutshell, it's a story of hope and redemption. It's the story of Rick's life growing up, um, seeing things that no child should ever have to see. His mom was a severe alcoholic. She became a drug addict, and he was put in situations that are just just awful for a child to have to experience. So it, it you know it run, runs the gamut of the experiences of childhood trauma that you hear about sometimes. Um, some of the things that a lot of kids in this country are going through right now, thanks to the drug crisis. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much before we get into the interview. Um, but, but essentially that's it and what he went through and then all that he overcame, um, to pretty much be living out his dream now of being happy, having a family, having these beautiful children. Um, and so there's a lot in there, but that's the, the short of it. Living in the suburbs with two kids. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's the American dream. Living the dream. You guys know I would have done anything to get them to stay in the city with me, but... Well, it's only 20 minutes away, so we're good. <laughs> okay, so how did it come to fruition, though? Because I want to talk about how you guys met and all that, but when Rick started sharing his life with you, telling you about all these things that he grew up with, and, and Rick, you can talk on this, too. Like, When did you start thinking, I want to write a book about this and when were you like okay I'll let you write a book about my life <laughs> well I'll start um we of course when we first met we just were getting to know each other and he was t- filling me in on his life and every you know he would tell me all these many things about what had happened to him as a kid and it was just so unbelievable to me because I had such a different life growing up uh, you know we come from this great you know, middle-class family. We have great supportive parents and extended family. And he had basically the opposite of that. And the more stories he would tell me, they would just come up, you know, here and there. And I just thought, man, he has gone through so much. And I just feel like not everyone who goes through that is able to get to the place in life that he is now. And I think what happened was, is I mentioned, um, your life sounds like a book or a movie. And he said, you should write it. Oh, you brought, you said you should write it. Yeah, I, I mentioned it, but I, honestly, I didn't really take her serious. So <laughs> we went through a series of interviews, and uh, but I never really thought it would materialize into anything, you know, concrete. So was that weird though to sit down and like have your wife interview you about your yeah, life? Yeah, it it's uh, it's kind of crazy, but it was a, it was a lot of fun, and I, I feel like uh, it was a, a way for us to kind of grow together. So. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it brought us together. I mean, I probably know more about him. I mean, most people know a lot about their spouse, but I feel like I got almost like a more intimate look at his life all the way through and probably sooner maybe than than a normal spouse would um, through these interviews, which we conducted for you know hours at a time. We would do it on car rides. Occasionally, we would actually just go out to dinner and just turn on the phone and just talk and I had a million questions oh you would record it yeah we would so some of our interviews you can hear like clinking of glasses in the background and things like that so um you know but those those interviews happened over a period of years and 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 talking about those things I think would sometimes make him recall things that he didn't immediately remember but by talking it out like things would come back to him and actually even now he'll he'll come up with a story that he hasn't told me um, because it, it's just like things are kind of repressed because some of it's so painful and some of it's so hard um, that I feel like people sometimes forget things when they've been through traumatic experiences. So, Rick, was it like 
hard for you to rehash all that or was it therapeutic? Um, I definitely, it was hard. It was definitely challenging. Uh, there were aspects of it that were very therapeutic, um, again, but it was like just a great opportunity to kind of share who I am. Cause I don't know, like, uh, there's plenty of people that are, have my story or share my story, you know, yeah. and to actually get the story out there, uh, was definitely therapeutic. And, uh, so I'm just very thankful that she took the opportunity to listen and to write it down. So can you, can we, I know, I don't want to give like too much of the book away. I don't want to give too much of your life away because we want people to buy the book obviously, but like, can you kind of share a little bit about where you grew up and what was so traumatic and what sure. led to the yeah, book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my mother was, uh, she was an alcoholic for as long as I can remember. Um, she always drank and eventually that transitioned into harder drugs. You know, um, she started off drinking and that transitioned into crystal meth, cocaine, um, possibly even heroin. Um, so needless to say, it wasn't an easy journey dealing with that type of environment, you know. And you had your sister though, which is yeah, like luckily, your saving grace. Yeah, luckily my sister, my sister and I, my sister's like my homie. Yeah. So uh, we we definitely went through a lot, and she's kind of like a if you ever win the army, she's like a battle buddy. Yeah. So just somebody that's experienced uh, hell and back. So she's definitely one of my uh, closest friends. Nobody knows it like she does. Yeah, like she's exactly. She's the only person. Exactly. Yeah. So she's lived it the same way I have. Well, it it really is like. If you think about it, it is like going through a war together. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, they both say that without one another, they don't necessarily know how mm. they would have gotten through yeah. it. So. And when you read the book, like you, you see that. I mean, I can't imagine. You, it's like when I think about kids in that situation. Like I, I swear, I think about this every night when I put my kids to bed, and like I give them a hug and I rub their back and I sing them songs. I'm like. There are little kids that like literally don't have that and like you my oldest is almost six and like you didn't have that when you yeah. were when you were six what were you doing yeah it, it's uh when i was six i was probably my mom would leave us alone for days at a time in our apartment um she would go out get drunk and then come back and fight with her boyfriend and he would you know uh physically abuse her so there was a lot going on at the age of six um that was pretty traumatic um so being left alone for days of yeah. time when you were six. Yeah. And I forget, is your sister older or younger? She's a year and a half younger than I am. A year and a half younger. Yeah. So you're six and she's five. Yeah, yeah. And you're being left home by right. yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think about that now and I'm like, could Marshall do that? I mean, I guess you had to. You, you had didn't to. have a choice. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Absolutely. And what would you do for like to feed yourself and stuff like that? Uh, mostly cereal and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. Um, so we always had a stock of peanut butter and jelly and then, you know, of course, cereal. So luckily uh, that was always stocked up for us. But uh, yeah, my mom would say she's going out to get some cigarettes and she just wouldn't come back for days at a time. Um, so we just kind of learned how to survive and take care of ourselves. So after, um, after high school, you graduated from high school, yeah, which is yes. like... It's a miracle. Consid yes, considering really, everything that you went yeah, through. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how you were raised. Uh, you and your sister both graduated high school? Yeah, yeah. My sister actually graduated with honors. Yeah. So she's, uh, okay. Yeah. She's, how does that happen? Uh, you know what? I have no idea. She's definitely the smarter one of us, or out of the two of us, she's definitely yeah. the smarter one of us. Um, so I give her props for that because uh, I barely graduated. Aside from like your mom leaving you for days at a time, what were some of the other like crazy things that happened when you were... Well, she uh, tried to commit suicide several times, and unfortunately, my sister and I actually watched her attempt suicide before. Uh, she would take a butcher knife and, you know, cut her wrist, 
Um, and that's pretty dramatic to see your mother do something like that. You know, uh, the first time I ever tried crystal meth actually was with my mother. Um, like, you know, I had to go to work and I was probably about 16, 15 or 16 years old. And of course I had a job after school and I went into my, I was complaining about how tired I was. And she's like, yeah, just try this. And so I don't know if it's free called free basing where you take aluminum foil and a straw and you kind of light it and it melts and then you inhale it. So that was like my first, uh, luckily I never became addicted to any of those hard drives, you know, but, uh, I definitely, I guess had a, an experimental stage, but the first time I tried it was with my mother, uh, which you kind of think about that today, or I think about it today with my own kids and think about how awful that is, you know, cause you know, I could have became addicted to those drugs so easily, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm like, what? And people say that you can get addicted to crystal yeah. meth, like the first time you try it. Yeah. I wonder what, what was it that you didn't stick with you like why I wonder why I really feel like it was God yeah God had his hand in my life uh, whether or not I I realized it at the time but looking back on my life I really feel like uh, you know God was holding my hand and protecting me yeah so so now that you're are you 40 yes I am I'm 41 oh you're 41 yes that makes me want to cry you're 41 and you're a guy that'll you'll drink a beer or whatever when you come over to our house and I mean, can you even th- imagine what your life would be like now if you would have gone that down that road? I can't even fathom it. Um, there were so many things that I, so many bad, bad uh, decisions that I made that really could have affected. Or, yeah. You know, when I was about 18 years old, I got, had a job at a video store. And I don't know. I think I've told you the story before. Oh, it's in the book. Uh, it's in the book. In the book. <laughs> oh, well. He, I, he uh, has read the book. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I embezzled or stole about $1,500 worth of, you know, which is not, you know, it's a nice chunk of change for a small business, you know, and for an 18 year old kid um, or 17 year old kid, that's, you know, that's a lot of spending money. Um, And I was pretty fortunate, you know, because the owners found out I was doing it. And luckily they didn't press charges. I didn't go to jail, you know, nothing. And I could have gone to jail, you know, and that and would have prevented you from going to jail. Yeah. The that would have prevented me from joining the army, is, the military, which is one of the best decisions I've ever made. So there and was, then you use your GI bill to yeah, go to college. Yeah, exactly. So it's like exactly. All so this all this, effect. all these decisions, um, I, I've been really fortunate not to get into any major trouble. How do you navigate, uh, becoming an adult with no dad and a mom that's not functional? Uh, it's been very difficult. I mean, basically it's trial or error. Any, any bad decision there is, I've definitely made it. <laughs> so, so if there's a hard way of doing it, I, I definitely own the t-shirt. Uh, so I can definitely, <laughs> the advice I can give you is, uh, don't do it the hard way. You know, was it hard for you to decide that you were going to let the book be published? And I mean, cause like Erica started writing the book Yeah. and 2013 right it's 2018 and you guys are probably thinking i don't know is this ever going to actually be a thing and then she got a book deal which we'll talk about um did that get scary when that happened it's still scary i mean because literally i'm putting intimate parts of my life out there for people to read and to judge you know and so it's it's definitely it's it's been a scary experience um you know i'm i'm putting everything out there i'm an open book literally you know i have no problem talking about my childhood or my past but letting everybody strangers letting people i don't know into my life 
is definitely an overwhelming thought, you know. And some but, of it, <clears throat> some of the book was more recent past. Yeah. Where he had made yeah. some bad decisions. And yeah. so yeah. that's probably almost more anxiety-inducing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I want to talk about how you guys met and your marriage and all that. So how did you meet? <laughs> Match.com, baby. You are not the first guest on the show that have met through Match. Uh, Allison from Prep Dish. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I've talked to three or four people that met that way. So Match.com, okay. Yeah. We're giving Match.com a plug here. Yeah. 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 Good <laughs> you know, old Match. If they want to pay us. Fine. If you want a sponsorship, I don't know Match. if this is the right sponsorship. Is this is yeah? Right most podcast. people that listen to your podcast <laughs> might be married already. I wouldn't say most, but I would say like a good, I don't know, sixty percent. <laughs> yeah. Well, that leaves forty percent. That's so true. That, All right. Target market. Match.com. Um, yeah. yeah, we met on Match.com, and um, you know, I think he had only been on it for a month. Probably or so. about a month. Yeah. I had been doing it for for a while. I had been going out on. All kinds of dates. <laughs> I, I had, you know, started this new thing where I was like, I'm just gonna go out on a bunch and like see if anybody sticks. You know, sounds miserable. It it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I read a great book. So for anyone that is single, here's a great book. It's called um, How to Get a Date Worth Keeping, mm. and it is. Is it really good? It's a great book, and it's what inspired me to go on all these dates. And who knows, mm. I might have said no to him if if I wasn't following the the uh, instruction in the book. So who wrote it? Um. Henry Cloud, I think, you know, the guy who wrote um, Boundaries and Relationships and in Marriage. It's He's a pretty famous author. Um, and it is like, it is Christian based, but honestly, it could be, you, you could take, you could no take it you for believe. anything. Yeah. So anyways, that's how we met. And um, it was pretty, pretty fast. And we, um, it, you know, I kind of like knew right away. It was one of those things where I wasn't asking myself if I wanted to go back out with him like I was all these other people. It was just kind of like a definite yes. And um, he was super sweet and didn't make me uh, wonder what was going on. Like he didn't like not text me for two mm. days at a time or like Why do people not do that call, if you're like, interested? Yeah, it was such a, it was so refreshing. Cause I was yeah. like, oh, we're not playing any we're not games. Playing games. Like, he likes me and I like him and like we're just being adults about it. So. And you were 28. I was 28 and he was 32 or three. Okay. Which yeah. gosh, at the time, it's so funny because I got married young. I was almost 25, and I remember so clearly you be, I mean, you were like, probably hated that like I always had the boyfriend, then I got married, and you thought 28 was so old though. Oh, I thought it was so and old. And it's so young now that I'm 34. I know, I was like, I'm oh like, my gosh, like I'm 28 and I'm not married And it's yet. like, <laughs> and people that are listening that are single in their 20s now are, and their 30s are probably laughing like, what are you talking about? And now looking back at 36, are you like, oh. That's not very old. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have a different perspective now. <laughs> I mean, like, I needed to get the ball rolling, you know, so I could have some kids and all that. But, um, but you know, it all worked out just fine. But you could have met him at 35 and still had the kids. True, true. Especially the method that you guys went about having kids, which we can talk yes, about as well. Yes, we, we did IVF, for those that don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, once you met, though, and started dating, and Rick started sharing his story with you, and... Um, there were probably things that popped up that you felt like were red flags. I mean, as someone who came from this like middle-class family that you talk about is so great, um, you know, Rick's been divorced and things like that. So like, how did you guys navigate that? 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, certainly there were some red flags. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think that I would marry someone who had already been married before, but honestly, that wasn't really a big deterrent to me because I just thought, well, I mean, everybody has a past. So, um, but then, you know, he had some, some issues with, you know, some anger issues that I talk about in the book and, you know, we talk, <laughs> is that uncomfortable to hear? <laughs> no, it's not because it's the truth. Yeah. Well, you know, we, so we talk in the book about mental uh, illness. Go, yeah. ahead, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, Erica was just one of the most patient people with me. Just very understanding, solid, just an amazing person. So I'm pretty fortunate to have found her. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we talk about the mental illness stuff in the book. So so the anger issues is, is related to Rick having bipolar disorder, which he was diagnosed with, I think, after, after we met or yeah. oh, around the time yeah. that we met, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, dealing with depression and anxiety and social anxiety disorder. I mean, there were so many effects of his childhood on him. Because when you, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but when you're going through that kind of stuff as a little kid, that's literally affecting the way that your brain develops and the way that you actually view the world. So the way that he responded to things in a, like a somewhat irrational way, but that's because he grew up living in constant fear um you know the uh, researchers talk about how kids that live in a constant environment where they have to do their fight or flight reflexes are constantly ignited like multiple times a day well that completely changes the trajectory of how you uh, live out your life as an adult and so you know things that you or i would think were um not a big deal or you know we could just brush off well he's you know, looking at the world, thinking everyone's a threat and thinking everything's a threat. And so it was, I, I started to recognize those things right away. I, I would recognize like, why is he reacting this way? And I, but the funny thing was, is that I could tell that it wasn't really him. Mm. And I know that not everybody, and, and maybe God just gave me that sense. Like maybe God just gave, gave me a, a fifth, sixth sense, <laughs> a sixth sense to know, but I could see, you know, who he really was, mm-hmm. you know, when we would hang out and stuff. But then when these irrational reactions would happen, it was just like I was like, it was like a whole different person would take over. And I thought, that's not who he is. And I think God gave me that ability to see because he knew that he was going to use me and his life to, to start helping him find freedom and healing from the past. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah, it's definitely true. Do you think that going into your relationship with Erica, can I say you've been divorced twice? Sure. Can I say that? Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, it's in the book. So. Yeah, that's true. It's in the book. Um, do you think that like this intuition she had in this, like, it's like she did have this feeling from God that like, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be a part of this. We're supposed to move forward. Do you think that that was, that's what was missing the other two times you were married? I mean, the first time you were married, you were really young. Yeah. Uh, the first time I got married, I was probably about 21 or 22 years yeah. old. So I was, I was fairly young. Um, the second time was a snapshot. Uh, you know, we only knew each other for about two months. Yeah. Which, again, bad, bad decision. Don't uh, get married. But, I was just listening to the podcast, and they were talking about how you shouldn't get married yes. after only knowing each other for like two months. Yes. It's, uh, I'm that guy. Yeah. But um, but, but, but his, kudos it, if you have been married defense, for a long time though, and you did that. On that, like they were dealing with some situations yeah. with the military yeah. where like if they didn't get married they were going to have to be apart and yeah. so sometimes that forces right. people to make bad decisions. Yeah, definitely. So. 
and then they get divorced. And then yeah. they get not always. <laughs> yeah. Don't judge us for this conversation, people. We know that this, there are always exceptions to the rules. Um, okay, so uh, going into the relationship with Erica, though, um, did you see something different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Erica was definitely she was patient, like. Uh, with my outbursts or my depression, she was always uh, very empathetic, very understanding. So she, she took the time to really get to know who I was at the core. And that's something I, I deeply appreciate about her. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, she's definitely different from anybody I've ever met, you know, taking, taking the time to truly, she's very authentic and genuine as a person. And that's something I, I respect and appreciate about her. So I hope that really, I don't know if I address your question or not. Well, and I just think about marriage in general when I when I talk to Erica about about things because I'm just like, I mean, marriage is hard. Yeah, it really is. And everybody's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, she could have ran away from the anger stuff. I mean, and there's a situation in the book where you talk about you guys are out to dinner and you get angry about something and like, you could have just ran away right then and there and said, I'm not doing this anymore. So what, why do you think you decided this is worth? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I would say the beginning of our relationship was really hard, like even harder. I mean, everything is pretty great right now, to be honest with you. Um, we're not really having any major problems, <laughs> but, um, but there were some times in the beginning where I, I really didn't think that we were going to stay together. Like I knew we were together, but I kept thinking like, I don't know how this is going to last with, you know, all the, pro all the fighting that we you know, have going on. But, you know, this was a situation in which I really started praying about it. Like, I just felt like, you know, why did I meet him? Like, this is, this is different. This isn't just something that I feel like I can walk away from. I feel like, um, we've been brought together for a purpose. And so I had a lot of moments where I was talking to God about our relationship and like what I should do. Cause I didn't want to, you know, you know, stay if I wasn't supposed to, but I wanted to because I was in love with him. And, um, and so, you know, at the end of the day with those many prayers that I prayed, I felt like, um, I was called to stay. I mean, you know, God ba basically, I know it sounds weird to say God told me, but, but God basically told me, um, you know what, like, I brought you guys together and you know, it's not wrong if you decide that, mm -hmm. Hey, you don't want to do this, but like you, I'm going to use you in, in his life and like good things are going to happen. And, um, but you just have to be patient and you have to be willing to, um, to go through some stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I decided I wanted to do that and I'm so thankful that I did because, you know, we, we've overcome so much. I would say that, you know, in, in many situations, um, you know, I wouldn't always recommend that someone, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, it doesn't always turn out great, Yeah. but I feel because we had this foundation in God, like my foundation over here and then his foundation over there. Like I wouldn't do this unless that was like, you know, there beneath us, like guiding us. I mean, I think that that's really the key part that that has brought us through and then has brought us through other things. Um, since then, you know, we struggled after our son was born. We had a lot of problems then that's in the book. And, um, I think we, I mean, there were moments when I was like, is this gonna, you know, implode? Um, but like we got through that and like, we're stronger for that. And now it's like, you know, of course we're going to have problems in the future yeah. because every marriage goes through yeah. that stuff, but we're going to be stronger because we went through that stuff and we're going to know, Hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, so I don't know, I'm kind of rambling, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, 
I think about that after you guys had Jacob. It's hard. I think, and I think that's a message we can send to anybody that literally just had a baby. I yeah. Mean, my friend, my good friend Emily just had her first baby, and I know how much she was struggling those first few weeks. It's just hard, and it's hard if you already have other things going well, on. Well, and, yeah. the, and the big, one of the biggest problems, and this, is, this will help or speak to anyone that has lived with mental illness or lives with someone that has mental illnesses, is he was having some problems with that, like the bipolar side, and that's partially because his medication was off. Yeah. Um, and that's why it goes to talking about how important it is to like make sure that you're getting your medication right. And that's not easy. No, because like they have to try out so many different You have to things. try different combinations. You have to make sure you're like g- keeping your appointments. And when you're in like a deep depression, a lot of times people aren't keeping their yeah. appointments. And they are not in the right mindset to, to get done what needs to happen, um, which kind of makes me think about, you know, after the celebrity suicides yeah. a couple weeks ago, people kept saying, oh, we'll reach out. I'm here for you, but then so many people said, um, people that are depressed like that, like they don't really have the capacity to reach out to right. you, so you need to reach out to them. And um, so he, thankfully, you know, Rick was um, diligent in going to get, uh, try different combinations, and it was really just not that long of a time period. It was about two months where we were going through this like really difficult time, but as soon as that, you know, medication got on track, Jacob got a little older, started sleeping through the night, <laughs> Um, and also again, this whole, I was, we were covering it in prayer too. So it was a combination of things, but we, you know, came out and sometimes it's hard for me to believe how, how hard it was because things are, you know, so good now. Yeah. You guys, she has a, like a 12 week old that sleeps through the night. So nobody talked to her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are like, that's not fair. <laughs> she sleeps. Yeah. She's, we that haven't had not... any, we haven't had any sleep deprivation with Abby. But I like, can't even, don't talk to me. But I think <laughs> that's, I, I, I think that's, um, you know, I think we deserve it after what we went through with Jacob. So, um, so tell me there's a reason you wrote the book. So what's the message, Rick, that you want to send to somebody, somebody who, what, I mean, I don't know what the odds are of like a 15 year old kid going through your exact yeah, situation. Yeah. I was going to pick this book up, Sure. but what, maybe someone that's 30 that went through it yeah. and they're struggling now to get on track. What's the message? Well, I think that, uh, the, the purpose of the book is, uh, we all hurt. We all struggle. Um, you know, I think I discussed with you, nobody's hurt is greater. Everybody hurts. Yeah. Um, and I would hope that this book speaks to the heart and soul, um, of an individual that needs help. And hopefully even a healthy individual will pass it along to somebody, um, because it can speak to anybody. And like I said, there's so many stories like mine out there. Um, and I just really hope that the book has an opportunity to really set a foundation for somebody and help them out of whatever issue or situation that they're in. So... I think that's the primary purpose for the book. When you think, when you hear someone like, I feel like this has to be hard. When you hear for someone complain about things that are relatively just like not a big deal, um, and you see someone coming from such an easy place in life, like like I did, sure. like Erica did, sure. is it hard to not be judgmental? It's hard not to judge, yeah. yeah. But I think that's true with everybody. Yeah. Um, like I said, no, everybody hurts. And yeah. so my pain is no more than your pain, your vice versa. Your pain is no greater than mine. And I think that if you recognize that people just hurts and, um, you know, you, you kind of get empathetic to that situation. So, I, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to be judgmental. 
Um, but overall, I think that I'm a pretty um, understanding, empathetic person. So I kind of understand where they're coming from with their their uh, issue or pain or whatever it may be. You know, I think that I'm, I'm pretty empathetic instead of judgmental, or at least I'd like to think I yeah. am. Yeah. Well, I think you are. Does it is it hard, though, when you see someone... I feel like I would be... I put myself in your shoes if I could. I mean, like, and try to vi- envision how I would look at yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And... I feel like I would be like, just get over it. Just move on. Just, just, just do what you need to do. Like, I was dealt the worst hand possible at the first eighteen years of my life, and I figured it out. Well, you know, there's somebody that always has dealt a worse hand. So there's somebody out there that's had a worse life than I have had. You know, and so for me to kind of judge other people's situations and and say, well, get over it what I'm doing is discounting their, mm. their feelings yeah. and making their hurt kind of ungenuine when that's the reality that they know. That's the hurt that they know. And so if I were to do that, I'm discounting their feelings. And that's not fair to them. So, you know, although I think that it, it is easy to kind of put on the judgment hat and say, get over it, put on your big boy pants type of situation, uh, I try not to, you know, because, again, I don't want to discount somebody's life experiences. Yeah. And, and so many times you don't even know really what true. someone has yeah. been through. I mean, Rick has one of the things he reiterated to me in the book again and again was that he always feels like he was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that you feel that so much anymore yeah. because yeah. you have come through and uh, so many and healed in so many ways, but felt like he was wearing a mask because you look at him and he's, you know, this like normal looking guy, blonde hair, blue eyes, has a great job with the federal government, has a good family. But, like, nobody knows what he's been through, and he would feel like people were maybe assuming that he came from a privileged yeah. background um, and, and never really aware that, hey, you're talking to someone who's been through it and probably worse than what you've been through. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm a clean-cut guy, and I think that people kind of pre- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, people kind of prejudge, yeah. you know, just by um, uh, out, outer looks, yeah. you know. So I feel like I have a mask on. I feel like... Um, you know, this is my mask and people don't see the hurt and the pain inside. And so if I were to discount or kind of judge somebody on their, their situation, I'm taken away from them. And I, I truly don't know their background. I don't know what they've been through. So they might be just having a bad day or it might be something that's a little bit deeper, you know, so I try not to judge people, you know, tell me about how the trauma that you went through as a child and, uh, the mental illness thing we've talked about, the bipolar disorder, how does that affect you in like social settings? It uh, it definitely handicaps me. Um, yeah. I'm a very introverted person. I'm very shy, um, and I think that a lot a lot of that has to do with my upbringing, you know. And unfortunately, it's affected me. It's something that I've actually disliked about myself for the longest time. You know, uh, I wish I was a social butterfly like Erica. Mm-hmm. She can go in a room and make friends with anybody. But unfortunately, that's just not who I am. And it's taken a very long time to kind of embrace and accept who I am as a person. You know, um, so, but yeah, it, it's affected me, I guess, in a negative way. It's, uh, I'm not able to connect and bond with people on a certain level, um, like I'd like to. Um, but, you know, it's just who I am. Yeah, and then that, the, the upbringing part, like, it still kind of affects, like, the way that he looks at things irrationally still sometimes. <clears throat> because he'll think that someone is 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 uh, upset with him or he'll think he annoyed mm. someone or <clears throat> he'll think he sounded silly or something mm. and he'll ask me about it and I'll just be like no you were fine and 
but that stuff from his background is still sometimes invading his mind. And unfortunately, that's the thing, even though he's come so far, um, like mentally and spiritually, um, these, the effects of like their adverse childhood experiences, like they can last a lifetime. Um, and that's, that's the sad reality of what a lot of parents like put their kids through, not realizing like, Hey, you're, you're going to screw them up in some way for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I think a lot of us can leave a party or a situation and think, did I talk too much? Did I say the wrong thing? But like, then we move on. Right. But it's probably harder for you to like, then move on with your day. Yeah, definitely. It kind of uh, eats away at me and I, uh, kind of, uh, make it the center of, you know, the center of my attention. I kind of focus and over, overanalyze, overanalyze. That's what I was looking for. Probably overanalyze the situation and make it a bigger deal. Make a, uh, what is it? A mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what now? Like you're 41, you guys have two kids now, probably done having kids now. Probably. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can just say that cause you're my yeah. sister. Yeah. You can yeah. say that. Yeah. Um, We're probably done. But what now moving forward? You're in a very good place, but you probably, this is something you have to like continuously think on you have to take your medicine like yeah well I think that uh as people not just myself but we have to continue to evolve and grow you know so I I feel yeah definitely I'm in a spot that's I'm very content very happy with life but you know I I don't want to become uh complacent you know I don't want to be static I want to continue to grow as a person and continue to heal and but I think that's true for everybody regardless of what point in life you are everybody needs to evolve and grow because you become static you become complacent, you know, and so I definitely try to avoid that by, you know, reading, talking to counselors, taking my medication, um, you know, and, and I, I recommend, I think that everybody at some point in their life will need to talk to somebody, uh, whether or not a counselor, uh, a pastor, a rabbi, uh, a good friend, a spouse, somebody. Um, but I definitely feel like, you know, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, now that the book's coming out on Tuesday, yeah, what's going on with it? Like, do you guys kind of feel like, okay, we've wrapped this project and now we just got to push it out there? Or like, I mean, it's got to feel weird to close it and say, all right, book's done. Yeah, I mean, I think Rick's probably more ready to be done with it than <laughs> I am. Just yes. because when you have something like this, people say, and it's true, that it's like having another baby. Yeah. So we had like two babies at the same time, basically. <laughs> um, and... So I've been working on getting it out there for the past several months, and it's been really exciting, but also scary. You know, we had to do a lot of like legal legwork on the back end. Oh, yeah. You know, when you write a biography or a memoir, um, you know, there's stuff that you have to think about in terms of who's in the book and things like that. So um, we did some of that. I mean, it's great to feel like we're crossing the finish line, but at the same time, it's kind of like, what is it going to feel like after it's over? Like, it, you know, it's just kind of scary because I'm wondering. You know this big dream that we've had is coming true and then and then what I guess but right now we're still in the process of like trying to get pre-orders and making sure that we're getting the publicity and the media that we can with it um, which you're is, welcome <laughs> thank you um, and honestly just trying to reach the right audiences yeah. because yeah of course we want to sell sell the book but it's not really about like, oh, how many books are we going to sell? It's really about are the right people getting the book. So when I'm talking about it, I'm trying to say, hey, I, I can only imagine someone that grew up the child of an alcoholic, how they will read this book and be like, oh my gosh, that's me. 
that happened to me because in my research for the book, I, I read a lot about children of alcoholics and so many of the things that he experienced are like exactly what was written in the book and the, and the ways that it affects people, um, you know, chemically and all of these things, exactly the kind of results that he had. And so there's probably thousands, maybe millions of people around the country that will recognize themselves and I'm hoping that they won't feel so alone yeah. um, and then there's the mental mental illness side there's people on that in that um, audience that we want to reach and so right now it's kind of difficult trying to figure out how do we get this to all these various places because in a, you know in addition to that it's a book about faith and it's a book about how you know Rick have uh, pursuing a relationship with God ended up being really the ultimate thing that healed him you know there mm -hmm. was a lot that he went through but it wasn't until he basically got to know Christ that he really felt like he got some freedom from this. So we're looking to talk to people that maybe need that kind of hope in their lives. So right now it's just really hard trying to figure out how do we make sure all these audiences have an opportunity to get the book, to see the book. Um, because, you know, Rick has said, and I say, if one person feels like their life has changed because of this, then every second of it was mm -hmm. worth it. Um, and there was a lot of seconds that went into <laughs> it. Um, a lot of the interviews, the writing, the editing. Um, so it's been a long, it's been a long process. But you know, if we if we leave the world and this is like <clears throat> the biggest impact that we make, I think you know it will be totally worth it. Um, speaking of impact, you just got me thinking. Someone who has been depressed and been on the verge of like suicidal thoughts and things sure. like that. What would you say to someone who's like feeling those things right now? I think the primary thing I'd say to him is there's a light, you know, where there's a beginning, there's always an ending. So you might be feeling uh, devastated, hurt, alone, um, all these feelings, blue, gray, um, but there's always a light. There's always somebody out there that loves you. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, finding that and, you know, definitely pursue and look for help. You know, I think that's a, probably the most important thing is to get out there, get to the doctor, um, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, it's kind of nobody wants to admit that they have a problem, especially like that, you know. Um, but, you know, do be proactive. But most of all, know that somebody loves you. What's What would you say to someone who's in the shoes of a friend of someone that is seeing signs that they might be depressed? I yeah, I think that um, it's just important to be there. You know, uh, let them know that they're not alone. Even if it's a, you feel like a burden to that person. Yeah. You know, even if you feel they, they may withdraw, they may be not very interactive with you, but still push yourself into their life. You know, make, make your presence known. Um, because again, you know, with depression, you're going to withdraw. You're going to push people out of your life. And so you might, as a, a friend, you might feel unwanted, but know that mm. you're needed. Yeah. You know, and feel, you know, um, just love that person. What would you have done when you were like at the very bottom and a friend came over and just said, like, we're going to the doctor right now together. Like, we're going to go do this. Would you have said, no, get out of my house? <laughs> probably. Yeah. You know, probably. Um, but I think, you know, uh, persistence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, you need help. How can I help you? Uh, I love you. What what can we do? And let them know that they're not alone through this dark time, you know. Go ahead. Raise your Erica's raising her hand. You want to ask Rick? Well, yeah, because I think this is a key part of the book that I just want to hear your thoughts on, which is, you know, you you've told me that you hit an emotional rock bottom. Like you were at a place where you felt like you were so far down, 
emotionally and, and like mentally and spiritually that you could do nothing but pray basically when was that probably around the time that we met yeah definitely <laughs> during the time that we met um i think that one of the rock bottom or the lowest points that i've been uh i was in my 30s and i can't believe i acted this way but we were out eric and i were out and i was drinking of course and uh i had a little bit too much to drink uh, sometimes i don't handle my alcohol very responsibly um and we were walking to our car and uh, another car came and i kicked it you know and i was ready to fight you know and so uh, this guy gets out of his car confronts me I kind of stand there and I hear Erica, you know, no, don't do this. Um, so I kind of, in the back of my head, I don't really say confront this guy. Like I kind of back down from the altercation or the um, situation. He gets in his car and he drives off and he stops at a stop uh, stop sign. And I just take off dead sprint. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to punch this guy in the face. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the way I thought. Yeah. Irrational, not logical. Why would I do this? Um, but next thing I know, I have two cops chasing me down, you know, the cops catch up to me and I could have went to jail that night, you know, and here I am 30, probably about 32, 33 years old, acting like a teenage kid, you know, like a punk, um, ready to fight these people. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, it, you know, but I, I think that after that, I realized you can't live life like this. You can't react to situations like this. You can't, you know, how, and I, that's what I didn't know how was how to change it. And I think that uh, spiritually, that's when I turned to God and said, you know, I need your help. I can't do it. The decisions I make are not going to lead me in the right direction. They're gonna, I'm going to end up in jail. And I'm fortunate that, that I never went to jail, you know. Um, so I think that's probably when I hit rock bottom. And did, did you feel like, I mean. The that, interviewer's coming out. I got here. She, is. Well, she yeah. wrote the book. I just don't yeah. want to miss this because I think it's so important because you felt like you did that. You reached out to God. Um, you know, you, you didn't go to church until you met me. That was around the time that yeah. you started going to church. You started having a prayer life. You've never had, you had never had that before. Um, you read, uh, the book, the circle maker or by our pastor, Mark Batterson and all of these things kind of together. You felt, you felt your heart start to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. There were definitely, um, it wasn't like an overnight transformation. Um, it was a definitely, I had some growing pains along the way. Um, but, um, you know, uh, not to sound I'm too corny, but in Mark 10, 27, it says that uh, these things are not possible by a man, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And I truly believe that. Um, you know, so for your audience members that are not um, Christians or not of faith, um, I apologize. Um, <laughs> you don't need to apologize. <laughs> we could be but, talking to somebody that has a Buddhist faith yeah, and we could talk about yeah, their God. It's yeah, ab absolutely. But um, I just feel that uh, I've grown. And I, I, I don't mean like tiny. I mean I've grown into a new unrecognizable person, you know. And I think that's uh, strictly through the power of God. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's true. It was like literally it was like watching a miracle take place because – Lindsay could probably even tell you herself. I would tell her some of the things that we were going through. And um, she didn't tell me anything, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's well known that I pretty much tell Lindsay and then my best friend, Michelle, like everything. Um, so anyways, she, Lindsay could probably tell you that she's noticed a massive difference. I mean, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have much to tell her anymore other than like the normal 
annoying stuff that you know your husband does. Your does. <laughs> First of all, there's but no it, annoying <laughs> habits that I have. It truly was. Um, it was a time that like strengthened my faith in a way that I couldn't explain because I was sitting here like praying very specific prayers about you know his anger and his irrational stuff and like all of these things like his healing from all the things that his mom did um, to him which you know by the way he was just like deep um, like his wounds were deep when it came to his mom and he was not over it Um, like his sister um, who's in the book you'll you'll see she really experienced things very differently to the point where she kind of just cut their mom off and was able to move on in a more healthy way because she you know found a wonderful guy to marry she had little kids you know pretty quickly Um, but for Rick he was alone so much and in all these dysfunctional relationships and he had this care and compassion and love for his mom that was almost inexplicable I mean it was his mom but he just was not he couldn't get past that and and he's now in a place where I would say like you are scarred but like the scarring is you know it's it's just a scar now it's not still festering and that was through God I think yeah I definitely agree with that I think that uh you know, my mother, she was a horrible, you know, person, but I'll always love her just for the simple fact that she's my mother. You know, um, I believe that she genuinely did the best that she knew how to do, um, which unfortunately wasn't um, healthy. So I don't know. I just I, I'll always love my mom. Um, and we didn't even bring up the fact that you grew up with no dad or we did a little bit. But how does that affect how you feel as a dad yourself well I mean it's definitely challenging um to be the man to be a father without having that example Mm -hmm. you know so it's definitely there's challenging aspects of it um but I don't know I you know I hope I don't overcompensate but I guess in later on life if my kids are like my dad hugged me too much if that's if that's (laughs) their biggest problem in life they're they're doing all right you know so um I don't know I just hope that as a father I meet and exceed any expectation yeah that's hard because I I mean I just I this is such an overused phrase but I just can't imagine I mean when I see how Glenn treats our kids and what he does with our kids I'm like he's 100% modeling his dad yeah yeah. you know so like to just go into this without having that model yeah it's it's definitely a flying blind but it also Um, and you you talk about in the book Erica talks about in the book that you've you've said um, it gives you the extra motivation to like do everything how it should be or yeah. how it sh- you know yeah, perceive definitely. it should be done sure and to give your kids yeah well i i can say that uh this is gonna sound cliche but um i never knew the type of love you would have until we had our kids and i love them with the deepest uh most intimate part of who i am as a person as a man um so i just you know and look looking at Feeling that love and having that compassion for these children kind of makes me wonder what was wrong with my mom, yeah. why she didn't seek help. Um, you know, when you have these gifts, uh, and that's what children are, they're truly a gift from God, you know, why you wouldn't want to change your life or transform or at least attempt. Okay, so our interview got cut off for just a quick second, and I'm not sure where it left off, but we're re-recording. So we're just going to jump right back in. Okay, you can just kind of... Um it's kind of like learning the person's personality. Everybody's all obsessed with the Enneagram lately. I know. Have you guys taken it? What is it? Uh, yes, we, we took, took it, it once. Um, we're basically yes. complete opposite on every question. What were you? Do you know what numbers you were? I was a four. What was Rick? 
I don't remember. Do you remember? No. Whatever I, I don't is, even remember He's like, it. I don't think I actually took a test. Yeah. Well, I can just, our personality, like we did a personality um, compatibility test before we got married and it was basically like, you guys are not <laughs> Don't <compatible."> get married. <laughs> <laughs> basically, I mean, it, it basically said that. But I feel like so many couples, I hear them say, yeah, we're totally different and opposites attract. And so every every couple is different. I would so say Glenn and I are pretty different. Don't rely on a personality test to decide the fate of your love life. But What's a four? I'm, a, I'm pretty, I haven't taken that whole test, but I'm pretty sure I'm a hard seven. Yeah, I got a seven once and I got a four. Again, four is a romantic. I don't oh, know. You're pretty wear my heart on my sleeve kind of like sappy yeah. person. So I, I am a sappy that. person. Um but anyways, yeah, so, but but honestly, knowing your spouses or your friends, yeah. even friends, knowing their personality type and then understanding why they say things or do things the way that they do, I think that gives you so much insight and I think it can really help your relationship. Yeah, I need to do that. I need to take the Enneagram. Yeah, I mean, there's a free, there's a free version. Well, that's the one I a, took. I think it was like 122, like, real quick questions. Yeah, but then you can do a paid version that's much more in-depth. and. How long does it take, though? It's pretty long. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know the answer. I know. And then you're like, is this like making or breaking if I'm a seven or a four? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's um, interesting. It's interesting because, well, actually one thing on that, um, which I thought about in regards to the book is when I was taking the test and I answer the questions and knowing, I always know what Rick's answer would be. Anyways, at the yeah. end, I could tell what personality type he would be. And it's actually the opposite of the type of person that becomes an addict. So like this, a oh. seven is actually more likely to become an addicted. Like, I could see that. It's, you're not bad to be a seven. <laughs> it's not bad to be a seven, but most people that are addicts actually are, are sevens. sevens. And his personality type, he just doesn't have an addictive mm. personality type. It's a rock. And so <laughs> personality of a rock. No, that's a good thing. Thank God, though. Yeah. Right. No, but yeah. he's very like. Um, you know, he, he like likes Excel spreadsheets and he's quieter. Super nerd. Um, so it was interesting because I thought maybe that's another reason why he never actually. Yeah, no, that makes him. sense for sure. I think about that. I had these, um, after I had my major surgery in 2013, I had these pain pills that they gave me, you know, and I, I held on to those for like four years because I was like, well, what if I get like really sick one day and I just like need something for me? So part of me was like nervous to have those pills in my dresser because I was like, why do I want to keep these so badly? You know, um, I think I had them for like four years though. So that kind of tells yeah. me that you're not an addict. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but there were like 10 of them. <laughs> I did use them a couple times for like random sicknesses though. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's what they're for is like if you're having pain. <laughs> well, right. But usually if you're having like stomach pain, let's like, cause you're just sick. You don't really need like a Vicodin. <laughs> Or you shouldn't, you shouldn't just have access to that. <laughs> well, yeah, they're trying to cut down on that in the, the federal government these this days. This is true. <laughs> um, all right, so before we wrap up real quick, I just want to ask, uh, you know, you kind of talked about, you wrote a really nice Facebook post, and I, like, kind of read it a little bit when I uh, was promoing your book on one of my recent episodes, and you kind of talked about how you this was a project that you didn't know would ever come to fruition and then you were challenged i think it was by elizabeth gilbert in the book big magic yes or her podcast author of eat pray love if you don't know yeah and i'm reading that book right now actually big magic i mean i'm not an aspiring writer but i'm a aspiring creative person yeah and so i think that's good for anybody that's uh going that direction in their life although she's a little bit out there sometimes let's be honest 
Come on. Yes, she and her her friends that you know she's really good friends with, like Glennon Melton and Brene well, Brown. I mean, I love Brene Brown. Don't get me wrong. But. I love Brene Brown talking. I don't love her writing. Yeah, same. But one of the things Elizabeth Gilbert says that I'm like, okay, come on, is like if you have an idea and then you don't go for it. And then someone else gets the idea. She's like, and the universe just like gave that idea to that person. <laughs> yes, she did say so that. So that like that it could be used. And I'm like, I don't know. I think they kind of just like came up with the same idea. I don't know that the universe had anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I would give the universe that much credit. But. but she, regardless, she has really good things to say. And I am renewing the book for the second time. So, well, you know, I'm. Well, it was really. It had, was, your book hijacked my reading. Yes, Big Magic. of course, of course. Well, it was really, it was really the podcast. I, I listened to the podcast before I read Big And her Magic. podcast is called Big Magic, yeah. Yeah, and then the pod, actually the podcast is called Magic oh, Lessons. Magic Lessons. <laughs> Which I don't think she's doing it anymore, mm. but her, um, you know, her it was either her wife or her girlfriend died. Um, Recently? Last year. I yeah. didn't know that. I think, I don't know if they got married, but it was right at the ending of her second season of the podcast. And so I think she just kind of was going through a lot and never got okay. the podcast started that again. That makes sense. But, um, but it, you know, the, it's essentially talking to creatives of any kind. So yeah. whether you're a writer, a painter, a dancer, a podcaster, you know, anybody that's a creative person. An Excel spreadsheet lover. Yes. And it, and it encourages <laughs> people not to give, like, don't give up just because you're not becoming a New York Times bestseller. Don't give up yeah. just because you're not – you number one on iTunes because if you're truly a creative, you're not doing this for that recognition. Sure. And so when I heard her podcast um, one day talking about this, and I've said this in a couple other interviews, but you know, there's that phrase, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's what it was, and that's what people always say. But then she says, no, no, no. What would you do even if you knew you would fail? And to me, I was like, I would finish writing this book, whether or not it becomes a success, whether or not it's ever published mm -hmm. in any way. Like, I would finish writing this book because, um, for the love of the story, for I felt the story was presented to me to tell it. Like, I'm a writer, and so it's, that clicked with me. I mean, it just clicked with me. This one moment, as I was, I could, I could even tell you where I was. I was walking. I was taking a walk down my road, and I, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that, and I was like that's it and I was like well I have to do it I have to do it and that's when I kind of went back home and I said I'm gonna finish this and I started putting dedicated time into it so on Sunday afternoons I would be like you know what I have to sit in my room and I have to write for two hours and I have to write until I get it done and that's the only reason that the book ever got finished is because I believe that it I was basically called to finish it <laughs> I mean why hasn't Elizabeth Gilbert Gilbert endorsed your book well I'm not sure <laughs> I did write a blog post about this um if you want to look it up and I tagged her on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and she's actually responded to um an Instagram comment that um I know that my friend Michelle left on her oh I think I heard time. I think I saw that and so I thought oh so she responds to things on social media maybe yeah and so I I do wonder if she ever saw it because I have that verified blue check mark on Twitter so it's easier to see when someone tags you. I always wonder though like is that really that person or is it like their minion? Well, you can tell. Like you can tell, though. That's true. I you never know. I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like is that your assistant tweeting me back? Maybe depending on who it is. All right, guys. Um, so you guys can pick up the book, Leaving Cloud Nine, Amazon, Barnes Noble, and Amazon Barnes Noble, ChristianBooks.com. You can go to LeavingCloud9.com for all the places and for a trailer and like all the endorsements and 
all that kind of stuff. I'll put the link in the show notes, lindsayhine.com. All right, let's do end of podcast questions. Oh, okay. I didn't prep you, Rick, so okay. you just have to go. Um, what's one thing professionally or personally you haven't done that you would like to do? Skydiving. Oh. Really? And Erica's already done that. Yeah. Well, I'll do it again. Okay. Would you really do it again? Or maybe a hot air balloon he, might be my speed. If he did it, I would. <laughs> it's more, that's like Grandma Carol. Reminds me I, of Grandma. I would do skydiving again if he did it. But I definitely, yeah, I, I'm, I do want to do the hot air balloon. I again. would never skydive. You know who else wouldn't skydive? Glenn. And he's not like a fearful person, really. Um, okay. I think we say that because... I think I'd probably was, just close my eyes during the entire trip and yeah. miss out, you know? So, so then I, you're missing so the So I'm missing experience. the entire experience, yeah. I think that Glenn made that decision when um, our friend Abe, he was a Navy SEAL. He is a Navy SEAL, and he he said, you know, he jumps out of airplanes a yeah. million times, and he's like, but if this wasn't my job, I would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm never going skydiving. Uh, okay, well, what's your thing? Uh, my thing, oh gosh, there's so many, but like one thing that comes to mind is running a marathon and, and one of the big five. So like there's like five big mar- international marathons like South Africa, Australia. I don't know what the other ones are, but. Oh, you're not talking about like a world marathon major? I don't Because then you, you know, you've run Chicago. That's a marathon major. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about an international Inter- marathon. You want to run an international I, marathon. So like either the South Africa marathon or the Australia marathon is the two that come to mind. And one of these days, I'll convince Erica that she'll let me coach her to Boston qualify. She thinks she can't, and I'm like, I don't think so. No, here's the thing: is she thinks <laughs> she can't. Unless I'm 65. No, maybe. it's it's not that you can't. It's that you don't want to put the work in that would have to be done to get there, because you have other things you want to do. Which exactly. Is fine. I feel like at this point in my life, I I I would love to run a marathon right now, but I I simply do not want to put the time in right. that it takes to to train. So I'm doing a half marathon this fall, and that's that's taking enough time yeah. just even for that. So. And, like, that's respectable, and people should – some people yeah, maybe need to take that advice. Yeah, I think when my kids school age, I'll yeah. be more in a place to train for a marathon. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And she's run, like, eight marathons. Nine. Nine, okay. Um, all right, what's one message you'd like to send to the world? <laughs> deep. One message I'd like to send to the world. Oh my gosh. I don't want to say something stupid. You're not alone. That's good. Doesn't have to be overly. You're not alone. You are not alone. Oh, that's good. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've got a. Here's my message that I want to send to the world. You are enough just as you are. Um, you are enough just by the fact that. You were made by God in his image, and you don't have to do anything else to be anything more. But don't be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's Lindsay's, Lindsay's addition. That's my addition. But don't be a lazy turd. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what's the best, most recent, other than Leaving Cloud Nine, book that you've read? Well, the book that I just finished is called Lilac Girls, and it is about uh, World War II and the Polish women that were um, at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, the women's only women's only um, concentration camp, and what they went through. They were operated on um, just for testing. And anyway, so it's all about that. It's a pretty good book. I really liked it. I've heard I I've heard of that book actually. And then I also read Everybody Always by Bob oh, Goff. Oh, I want to read that. Anybody that doesn't is know it Bob Goff, get on it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's inspirational. It's motivating. Anytime I hear him in an interview, like if I listen to him on podcasts, I've listened to him on Jen Hatmaker's podcast and a couple other people's, and 
He's always laughing. Like yeah. oh, he like laugh laughs. talks. Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> he's the best. Did you read that book too? No, not yet. Okay, right. what's your best most recent book? Oh, that's a good question. You read a lot um, of books, don't you? Yeah, I do read a lot actually. Um, I'd have to. I forget the title of it. Um, oh, fiction or not? No, it's the one with a mile wide. Oh. Oh, it's by Brandon Hatmaker. Yeah, yeah. Jen Hatmaker's oh, Brandon husband. Hatmaker. Yeah. it's like a mile wide, and I don't remember what it, how to exactly the title. But yeah, but was it was it good. A, it was pretty good. It was very inspirational. It's about faith. You know, you can have a mile wide, but if it's a foot deep, mm. you don't have deep faith. And so it kind of talks about how creating that faith. Um, you know, a lot of people know or believe in God, but they don't have uh, the depth um, that's necessary to be very spiritual. Interesting. Um, I don't know much about Brandon because Jenna's so overpowering. <laughs> She's very overpowering. <laughs> she runs that ship over there. No, she probably doesn't actually. She probably well, does. No, she does. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's just, that's her. She's the one that's She's a seven media. for sure. No, she's not. Oh. She's a four. Oh, so. Well, she does wear a heart on her sleeve. Yeah, no, I only know that because she was interviewing someone on her podcast that I was listening to. Was it Latasha Morrison? No, it was Rachel Held Evans. Mm. And she said she, I think, I'm pretty sure this is Jen Hatmaker. I think she said she wanted to be a seven and she was a four. <laughs> Jen, are you listening? Come on Lindsay's podcast. Yeah, I'd love to have you on. Um, what's a nonprofit you like to support? So many. Um, I know. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> so, okay, so the one I most recently started supporting is actually the National Diaper Bank. So I... Um, I do a monthly donation to them and I just I love them because uh, there are so many women out there that are poor basically that need diapers and we know how diapers expensive, are so expensive diapers are and you know as someone who is pro-life like I want to support um, women who do choose that and so I think it's a really important place and then the other one that I support um, is DCFYI which is an organization in DC that supports uh, teenagers in foster care so they have mentorship programs, and they're working to get kids adopted that are older, that are harder to get adopted. And I just think they're doing amazing work, and there's too few places that are doing that across the country. I think uh, mine's going to be kind of old school, but it's going to be St. Jude's Hospital. Um, oh, yeah. I think that it's amazing. Their mission, helping those kids with cancer, um, just is a beautiful thing. And I just couldn't, as a parent, imagine oh, my going through something that you know like that. Mm-hmm. So I... I their mission I believe in um and that's definitely who I support yeah yeah that's got to be the hardest thing you could yeah. ever walk yeah, through Saint in your Jude is, is I mean obviously such an incredible place and then we also have a kid from compassion and um <laughs> there's just so many so many good organizations it's hard to choose which ones to to support because you want to support all of them you know we picked up a second uh sponsorship with compassion so we have two kids now and I have the best of intentions to like involve our kids and like writing the letters and stuff like that and I am really not doing a good job well it's it it is hard I I send pictures um yeah when I can and I almost always try to write the letter back yeah um but you know what I was thinking um the other day is that we should think of people in these situations as like this is like a like their their need for um that kind of kindness and compassion that's that's really like a legitimate like a a need that they have right now and so it's like it's easy to not decide to inconvenience yourself but like you should right like it's easy to spend the 38 dollars like oh i'm giving the money but honestly like to invest in the relationship 
And I've talked to, or I've heard from people that have gone over there on the trip. I know. And, people... and they're like, oh, when the mail comes, everybody's super excited to see if they got a letter. See, and I mean, I, I write my, I write letters sometimes, but definitely not every time that I get one. And I definitely haven't involved the kids. Well, the pictures we I talk think about are big, our... so send them some okay. pictures. We talk about that we do it with the kids, but, like, I've never... I need to have, like, Marshall draw pictures. Yeah, yeah or, like, Marshall write a letter, like, as a pen pal. Yeah, he can write now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's six. And you know how lazy I am? I've actually thought about, like, just telling my babysitter to do it with him. That's... I guess that's better than nobody doing however it with it gets, instead of me. However it gets done, but, yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think that's really meaningful to yeah. them. And Something's better than nothing. Yes, yeah. that's true. All right, guys. Um, Glenn is probably like lingering in the driveway with everybody and mad at me because I'm taking so long. Um, thanks for sharing your story. Well, thank you. Thank, thank your audience too. Thank you, audience. <laughs> thank you, audience. And thanks everyone for who's reading the book. And please reach out if you want to send Rick a note. Um, he's really kind of a ghost on social media. Oh yeah, he's not on social media. He he is, but it's hard. He's to on find. Facebook. It's hard to of. find yeah, him yeah, though. Facebook, that's but about it. but feel free to to check in with me, and I can definitely deliver a message to him because I know there are people that are going to relate to this, and um, I want to just make sure that avenue is open for people. Okay, so where do, can we give him an email? Yeah, my, or your email you or can, Rick's. You, yeah, you can uh, email me at dw sylvester, and that's s y l v e s t e r at gmail dot com. DWSylvester at gmail.com and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah, and you can find me on all, my email is like on my social media profiles. Erica Anderson. Erica, nobody wants to talk to you. They want I know, to probably to they don't want to talk to me. That's why I'm saying I want to make sure people can reach him because he's the one yeah. that you know went through it. So share the book with your friends, guys, leaving Cloud Nine, and uh, we're reading it for July Book Club. So I finished it this morning. I'm super proud of myself. So go leave a review on Goodreads. I already did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, lo- I left the review before I finished it, though. Well, that's okay. Just, try- just trying to help a sister out. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening today. Go pick up your copy of Leaving Cloud Nine over on Amazon. Go to Barnes & Noble. Pick it up. You can get it on your Kindle. Thank you, Erica. And thank you, Rick, for coming on the show and... A new episode will drop this Friday in your regular feed. Have a great day, everybody.